Uh, Mark is going to come and lead us as we continue in this amazing book. If you want to read from your Bible, you could turn to John chapter 8. I've no idea what the page number is, so whoever gets there first could shout out. John chapter 8, verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Carrie and I were watching um, a documentary this week. We don't always watch documentaries. We're not, I, mean, I don't want to give you the impression that we're like that kind of people. Because um, I'm sure that some of you are, like, and I really respect that. I, I, honestly, I do. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I, I don't want you to think I'm more highbrow than I am, basically. Um, but we were. We were watching a documentary. And uh, it was about, like, um, amaze what happens in the, on the earth in one day. Has anybody seen it? It's on BBC. It's on iPlayer. It's great. The earth in a day. And it was all these incredible things, like the amount of land that is made in a day by volcanoes and lava spilling out and new land being made. Incredible. There's an incredible amount of the earth that is still just growing, new land that is, is growing. Then, of course, then there's the land that's deteriorating as the sea and the wind and the rain, all of that stuff. Uh, but then at one point, it looked at forest fires. And, uh, and the, obviously, we know that the incredible destruction and pain, actually, that is, is very... Um, for those communities that are dealing with uh, areas where there are forest fires, it, these are incredibly powerful and frightening things. But the, the lady who was presenting said something amazing. She said, uh, she said um, fire is a natural consequence of growth. Because as things grow, they store up capacity uh, or like to be like essentially hit by the sun at a certain time and then spark into fire. Actually, it's really natural for a forest uh, to enter into a time where it will burn. It's a natural consequence. Fire is a natural consequence of growth. And when we pray for teams and we send them out like this, it is a natural consequence of our prayers that the kingdom of God would come on, heaven as it, uh, on earth as it is in heaven. It is a natural... It's painful, and I think it can be. A co- there's a cost, like Phil said. There's a... There's a there is a cost to saying goodbye to those people that we love. I've experienced it. Some of my best friends, one in particular who came to faith, uh, I often think of him because, because he came to faith and I thought, oh, great, we're going to do mission together, all this different stuff. And then he moved to Hong Kong. And it, was, it, it felt like one of those moments where I was like, Lord, this really sucks. Like, I've, we've prayed for ages for this. And we fought for this guy, and now he's suddenly just going to kind of disappear and not be part of the ministry that we're involved with. And then I felt the Lord really speak to us back then to say, this is a natural consequence, Mark, of loving people and seeing them coming to the kingdom. And sometimes the ones you love the most will be the ones that God sends uh, somewhere else. Not because he's trying to take them away from you, but because when you pour in love like that, people are able to go further and further and further. You know, like real love is love that can give away, isn't it? Like that's what this book, which I really recommend to you, like this book is all about that, isn't it? That God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You know, he didn't love, he didn't love Jesus so much that he kept him to himself. He loved him so much that he gave him to us. 
And so we come to this I Am series in John, and already, I mean, I was a wreck last week, Philippa. I mean, like, you know, what God's doing in worship and as we meet together, and, um, and then, you know, it was just incre- incredible to be able to come, and we thought about, like Philippa led us brilliantly into Jesus, you know, saying, I am the bread of life, and allowing us into that place where we can, we can realize that Jesus offers himself to us. We can come and feed on him. And, uh, and we have this basis of this series, I am. You know, even that phrase is this foundational uh, claim of, of, of who God is beyond the way that we can actually describe him with language and even, you know, being, as it were. But here we, here we have these phrases that Jesus gave, that he spoke out at specific times throughout his ministry. And, and every time he says, I am, we should like stop in our tracks because he's saying something which is deeply profound about not only who he was but who God is and who we are called to be and it's no different I am the light of the world you know that the human eye only sees one percent of light did you know that some of you the documentary watchers will have known that yeah I didn't watch that documentary, but I'd love to see it. But um, I had to Google that one. Um, 1%, 1% uh, of light, which is, cr- which is actually, that's a bit crazy, isn't it? You know, because our 1% actually does a huge amount for us. Otherwise, we'd all be, like, bumping into each other. You know, speak to any, anybody that you know who is, like, uh, partially sighted or blind, and, you know, that they will prove to you how amazing the rest of our senses are, but they also will confirm to you how liberating it is for us to be able to see and how much we take that for granted. And Jesus is well aware of the power of light. And John, when he wrote his gospel, uh, is key. And this is one of the major themes of the whole Bible. Light and life are major, you know, these are like huge. So I'm not going to try and, and do it justice this morning. But I am going to try and do justice to what, we feel, what I feel like the Spirit might be doing amongst us. And for me specifically, I feel like there, there, there is a real um, amazing thing when we look at the light, is that the light really does come in and both makes us aware of what is dark, but also calls us into a place where we can be free. And in, in different bits of the Bible, you know, we, and through Jesus' own giving of himself, we would know that that freedom, that liberation, uh, comes through the forgiveness of sins. So Jesus is here to forgive sins this morning. The Spirit wants to free you from stuff that has kept you trapped. It's about being aware that there are other forces and other things going on in the world. Our struggle is not just against flesh, but against the principalities and the powers. And so uh, this morning, we're going to look into that and look uh, to uh, just step into the reality that where the Spirit of the Lord is here, the Lord is here, His Spirit is with us, there is freedom. And so uh, that's what we're going to look at. I'm just going to read, John, this isn't the only bit in John where he talks about the light, so I just want to read a few of these references. Um, John 1, verse 4, in Him, Jesus, was life and that life was the light of all mankind. John 1, 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John 1, 7. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. 
John 1, 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. John 8, 12, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 9, 5, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. John 12, 36, believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. John 3:19. this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love the darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. John 12, 46, I have come into the world as light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So you can't talk about the light without actually talking about the darkness too. But I don't want to talk about the darkness too much, because we're taught by Jesus that we need to be children of the light. But, um, but there's a tension, right? And this word, I think, never, is a tension for us. Because most of us, I don't know if we would claim that we have never walked in darkness. And some of us might say, well, we didn't before, but then we met Jesus, and then we, we were not walking in darkness. But I think even, and I, I say this to you now uh, for myself, even those of us who've met Jesus and are following him experience darkness. So I wonder what darkness has looked like in your life. And I do mean internally what we might call like uh, our sin, where we miss the mark of what God has for us. But I also mean you've probably seen stuff. You may have experienced stuff that was dark, that didn't come from inside you, but that was outside. And so we're just going to spend a couple of minutes looking at the darkness. So... uh, to do that, I think it's best that we go back to Genesis, the beginning of Genesis. Uh, there's two good reasons for this. First of all, because it's like a great place to go to origins, how things started, but also because John and the way that he wrote his gospel is, is totally into Genesis. There are just so many uh, like references that link that, uh, those together. His opening, like the opening verses of John are in the beginning, and the opening verses of Genesis Uh, are in the beginning. And many of you know will know this, but there's this extreme kind of link. And Genesis 1-2 says this, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of the Lord was hovering over the face of the waters. So at the beginning we can picture it. There was this formless, and it describes it as this, formless and void and darkness. So there was this, it's very difficult to describe it, right? These are brilliant describing words, but actually we get left with some kind of dark space, which was in some way uh, filled with not very much, (laughs) apart from darkness. And so we enter into this place where actually before, G, like we, before God appears uh, and before words are spoken, it, there's a tension. And the Spirit of the Lord is hovering over this, this tension, this formless and void space, this darkness. Uh, these are some amazing Hebrew words. Um, and 
again, the documentary watchers amongst you will know are probably about them, but I'm going to just share them as well. The first one is, uh, is the formless and void words. And they actually go together. They're used a few different times in the Old Testament. And uh, in the Hebrew, they were tohu wabohu. Can you say that with me? Tohu wabohu. Yeah, it's a great sale. It just feels like kind of good. Although it's not a good word. Tohu wabohu. This is how uh, the writers describe this first scene. There was tohu wabohu. The places in the Old Testament where it's used, uh, they, are, they are places, um, they're kind of scenarios that bring ex- ex- like specific meaning out of these words for us. It's used in the Psalms at one point uh, of, of a wasteland and actually of, of the, um, the, follow, the person trying to follow God wandering in a wasteland. Have you ever felt like you've wandered in a wasteland before? In another, in another part, it's, it's post-war destruction. It's the ruins after war, after the battle has gone on and after the land is laid waste. That is tohu wabohu. Have you ever had those places in your life when it's just after events that have happened and you feel like it's ruined? You're walking through ruins and it's desolate. This word tohu wabohu is is deeply rich with the sense of chaos and abandonment and in that loneliness. And then it's paired with this other word, which is the word for darkness, which is hosek. And it literally means darkness. If we turned out the lights in here and, you know, managed to cover all the windows, it would be hosek. But also it has metaphorical meaning, which is often what we talk about, right, when it comes to darkness. The hosek we have encountered. Oh, that place we went to. Yeah, we don't know how to describe it. It was a bit hosek. It was a bit dark. Or that thing, oh, what those people are doing, it is so dark, it is Hosek. Hosek is, is again, fascinating uh, because it, is, it actually is imbued with a, a whole layer of other, of other me, um, meanings. It means the absence of God. One of the psalmists uses it. God, where are you? I am in Hosek. It means threat to God's people. God, where are you? We're, we're, we're in Hosek here. We're threatened by this darkness. It means death. Job uses it in that sense. And it can also mean, it's used in reference in Psalm 104, it refers to predatory animals. This one's a bit more complex, maybe. Um, Let me tell you a very short story. Uh, When I was 18, I was in South Africa, which was great, uh, an amazing time uh, to be in South Africa. And uh, it was very... Uh, like a meaningful time for me, and I got taken by a family to a game park, which was amazing. Uh, it was incredible. So we, I was like, great, we're going to see all of these amazing animals. Uh, we're going to see some rhino. I really wanted to see like a leopard, all this type of stuff. Uh, a huge privilege to be able to go there. And we saw some incredible, I mean, incredible animals that are just like, oh, wow, God, you've made an amazing world here. This is super cool. And uh, the only problem for me was that where we were, we were kind of staying in tents. And, uh, and the, the problem was that the toilet wasn't in the tent. It was a little way away from, from where we were staying. And um, 
And you can talk to somebody, an Englishman, you know, who's never been to Africa before, uh, about how it's fine, their offences, it hardly happens to anybody. But when it's pitch black, and it's the middle of the night, and, you know, you need to go, then you have to walk from this tent 50 metres to a small building, and you have a torch, right? I had a torch. It's, it's fine, I had a torch. But you, you, you realise as you step out into that with this little torch that it's not good enough, the torch. And, um, and I was faced with this situation where if I had to go, I mean, that only, one, only one time did I try and go at night, then you work it out, don't you? Uh, but uh, uh, but I, I'm there, going. I know, it's a, I know it's over there, this place, at the toilet, and I'm here, and I have to walk. And when you're faced with darkness and only a small shaft of light, it is very easy to think about everything that is hidden in that darkness, isn't it? And when you're literally staying in a place where there are predatory animals, who could be not just over in the bushes over there, but literally a half a meter this way because your torch isn't very good, it was very scary. And so I would uh, make it over to the toilet and go to the toilet. It really reminded me in this passage of those moments. That, that is what it means, uh, this sense of Hosek. It is the sense that in that darkness, beyond the veil of that darkness, is a predatory animal ready to come and get you. Have you ever felt like that? Some of you may not have been in dark situations like that, but others of you might have been, where it literally feels like the darkness or what is in the darkness is about to get you. This is what is... Uh, all there in Genesis 1. And this is the world, uh, the state, sorry, um, of things before the world is created. And, uh, and it's really important that we understand those different natures about um, darkness, because if we, if we underestimate what the light can do, uh, then, we, then we, allow, we diminish what Jesus is saying he is willing to do for us and be for us. So in all of those things that we experience that define darkness, we have to remember, number one, from Genesis, the Spirit of the Lord was hovering over this. Not, not delaying, not, um, not, not kind of deciding not to interact, but, but just hovering, ready. And, and that is what we need to think now. What is God ready to do right here, right now? And that's what we need to think about for Shadwell and for Tower Hamlets and for London. What is God doing? What is he hovering over and ready to do right now? And does anybody uh, want to take a guess at what God said? Or can anybody remember what God says? What's the first thing that God says? Should we say it together? Let there be light. And God says, let there be light over the chaos, over the wasteland, over the ruins, over the predatory sense of darkness trying to hold onto what God saw as um, the, the place to begin and step into so that light and creation might happen. God says, let there be light. And so when Jesus claims that he is the light of the world, this is what he claims. And where does, at the beginning of creation, like where does God, 
where does God start creation? This is a, is a very theological question, of course, but it's also a really great simple question. Where, where does God start creation? He starts it there, where the darkness and the chaos was. He doesn't say, oh, okay, let's first, day one, build a fence around that. Day two, let's go to that nice bit over there and start. God, God starts right there, right where it's most difficult, right where it's most dark. And what does the darkness have to do for God to say and bring light? What does the darkness have to do? I'm going to answer this one for you. Nothing. The darkness doesn't have to do anything because the light comes into the darkness. And then what do we find out? The darkness cannot overcome it. More than that, the darkness doesn't even understand it. The light is more powerful than the darkness. Are there situations in your life where it feels like the darkness is more powerful? Well, it is not. The light is more powerful. Are there places that feel chaotic? Well, there is light and hope for you. Some of the books in the New Testament, they, they explain it like this. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. The light of the world has come into the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. And the light cannot be contained. You know, I love, like for me personally, part of seeing church, churches grow and multiply and plan and all of those things. I just love it because you cannot get near God without multiplication happening. Because God cannot be contained. And the light is one of the best ways that we can, we can begin to understand that. That the light cannot be contained. We see 1%. God sees the whole spectrum. In Isaiah 60, it says this. The sun will no more be your light by day, nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun will never set again, and your moon will wane no more. The Lord will be your everlasting light, and the, your days of sorrow will end. Then all your people will be righteous, and they will possess the land forever. They are the shoot I have planted, the work of my hands, for the display of, his, of my splendor. The least of you will become a thousand, the smallest a mighty nation. I am the Lord." You know that as we experience Jesus, we are experiencing light in the darkness. And that light is life. It brings life. And as we follow Jesus, we find ways through darkness or we find a path so that even when darkness comes so close, we are able to still walk towards and in and with the light. But we also look to a day where there will be no more darkness. Where we won't even need the sun or the moon because we will be in the presence of God, which is unquenchable light. I look forward to that day. 
and not because I don't like you guys. Like, I really do. And I'm begin- I, like, I really feel like, you know, there's like a real sense of like falling in love with St. Paul's and all that God has done and is doing and will do here. But I look forward to that day because it is tiring walking through the darkness, isn't it? In the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, but it's really tiring. And we need God. And we need to grab hold of him. And I think God's message to us and, the, and what we get to do with Jesus is that we get to give him permission to come into our lives. You know, God's message is, let there be light. But his request to us is, let the light in. And then as we let the light in, he has other plans, right? He's then like, let the light out. He's like, you're going to be a lamp on a hill, like a city on a hill, that will, I will not cover because I am not ashamed of it. I, I will show you and you will show my light to other people. Now, lamps are just vessels that are lit by, by the source of light, right? The flame. But I think for us this morning, the key thing is we need to let the light in. And what God wants for us is to say, you can let the light in. Because the light is not the same as the darkness. And those things that you have feared or experienced, they are not part of my walk for you. You can let the light in and you can stand in Jesus, in his light. Not because he brings the light of the world or or knows where to find it, although those things are true, but because he is the light of the world. Why don't we just each ask the question, God, what, are you, what do you want to do here with me, with us now? Holy Spirit, we thank you that you hover over us, but that you don't just stay in that place, but you come towards us to bring light and life. I pray just for some of us here today that it would be like a Genesis day, a, a new creation day that wherever we felt in the wasteland or the, or the ruins of life, whether it's because of stuff that we've done or other people have done, I pray now that there would be light. God, I, I thank you that you always have more for us. You always have more for us, Jesus, that we might enter into more life with you and that that means freedom. It means freedom, Jesus. It means light in the dark. It means light for the world. It means that we are people pointed firmly at the day when there will be no more tears, no more death. But we ask now, Lord, that you would come and do that heavenly work now. Here, Lord, as it is in heaven, we pray. So as we enter just into a last song and more worship, I just really encourage you to both, uh, to just like receive the light of Christ. Let his face and his presence, which is the ministry of the Holy Spirit, may, may he shine upon us. Lord, would you shine upon us? Fill us, Lord. Lord.